So the book of John. Let me give you a little breakdown about the book of John, if I can, real quick. Because John lays his, his, the way he tells it, his gospel, the way he tells the story of Jesus, he lays it out differently than Matthew, Mark, or Luke laid theirs out. Uh, he, he spends 57% speaking about the, the ministry time of Jesus. And, and here's, here's the important, I mean, that, that sounds like, okay, well, that's pretty good. 57, 33, well, you know, no, no big deal about that. Except when you look at the, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, each spent over 80% of what they tell is about the ministry aspect or, or before those, the, those last few hours of Jesus' life. They told a lot of other stories that John didn't tell. So John only, only spends 50 cents, a little over half he spends in the ministry time. Now, John doesn't tell us really anything about Jesus as far as his life here that happened before ministry. Now, if you remember the, the, the first three that we went through, you remember how we, we find the Christmas story in the book of Luke, right? Chapter 2. But we also find events that happened before that in Luke chapter 1. We find the same thing in Matthew. We see some events before Jesus was born. But when, but when John starts out, John pretty much starts out with Jesus is already, he's a grown man, he's already involved in ministry. It says, if Jesus is in a hurry, I, I don't have a lot to tell you that, that, uh, about the early. I just want you to know some things. And, and he's in such a big hurry that, man, he hits the ground running. He hits the ground running to tell you some very important things. By the time chapter 1 of the book of John is over, you have been introduced to Jesus. And, 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 and not just, a, hey, here's Jesus, but to tell you really who he is and what John wants you to know about him. I'm going to tell you that in just a second, okay? But, but you've been introduced to Jesus. You've had a testimony from John the Baptist about when, when, when I baptized him. I know he's the called one because, because God told me that I would see the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And I, and I saw this, and, and so John gives the testimony. And, and in the next few verses, he calls five of his 12 disciples right there. So it's like boom, 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 boom. John says, I, I'm in a hurry. i got a lot to tell you. So, so let me get this, get this story started because I'm, I'm only going to spend about half my time talking about the ministry of Jesus. Because what's really interesting to me is that he spends a third of everything he tells is in that 24-hour period, the last 24 hours of Jesus' life. And there's a lot of stuff that's there that we don't have in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So, so thank God for John, that we've got John that tells us a lot of things Matthew, Mark, and Luke did not tell us about the life of Jesus, specifically in these last 24 hours. And there, there's three chapters there of Jesus' teaching that are there that we don't have anywhere else. So John is really focused on some specific things. He's not telling what everybody else maybe has thought. These are the important things you need to hear about Jesus. So John has got, has, has got a different calling. He's got a different heart, a different passion. This is what I want you to know about Jesus. Okay, so, so, so he's got a totally different track, and he spends about 10% talking about after the resurrection, once Jesus got up on the third day. And the reason for this is, is that John wants you to know Jesus as God. Not as a good friend, not as just the servant, because a lot of us see him as a servant. We show up on Sunday, we want him to serve us. You know, that's what we're here for. But he wants us to know that Jesus is God. And so the, so, so the, the miracles that he tells us about, the, the, the teachings that he gives us, and, it's, and you know, he spends these three chapters here at the, toward the end, and, and he tells us all these things Jesus is saying. It's like the last words Jesus is teaching his disciples in, in those last few hours of his life. And, and, he, and he spends all this time sharing this. And John shares a lot of miracles that aren't listed in Matthew, Mark, or Luke, and a lot of teachings that aren't in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So this is what we're going to do this morning. 
I'm gonna, everything I'm going I'm to tell you about Jesus, I'm going to take specifically from the book of John. Now, I did that with Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but with this one change. We're not going to talk about anything today that is listed in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We're only going to talk about the stuff that is specifically in the book of John, and no, nobody else even mentioned it. Because I want you to see, John pulled out some things that nobody else was talking about, nobody else thought was important, but John said, this is important, because if you're going to know Jesus as God, I, I, I've got to tell you these things. These are the things that are going to help you know him as God. And, and the reason he wants us to know Jesus as God is because when, when, when he's just a big brother, or when he's just a servant, or when he's just the best friend, and he's all those things, and, and, and a whole lot more, but when he's just those things then we don't really honor and respect and awe him as God. We need to remember that Jesus is God. Now, again, you know, if you've been here a while, you know, you might have heard me talk about the Trinity a little bit and tell you that I don't get the Trinity, okay? I, I, I have a math mind. One is one, three is three. One is not three, and three is not one. But that's what the Word of God says. It says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 7, that there are three in heaven, namely the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and these three are one. In other words, that does not compute in my mind. I can't explain it to you, okay? Don't have time to try and get into it, but we are going to get into it in the next sermon series a little bit that starts next week on Continuum, okay? So if you've got questions about that, throw me your questions, but we're going to get into some of that. But Jesus is God, 1 John 5, 7. He, you know, he is God. Namely, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He is God. And John wants us to know that, so we honor him, but he also wants you to know this for this reason. So that you can believe in him for salvation, for eternal life with him. Because if you don't know Jesus as God, if he is just a great teacher, if he is just your best friend, if he is just a servant that brings you gifts every once in a while, then you don't know him in the way that can bring you eternal life, salvation, deliverance from sin. And I don't just mean forgiveness where the blood of Jesus washes away your sin and God's not mad at you anymore. I mean deliverance from sin where you're not walking in that junk that is tearing you down and destroying you anymore. All the stuff, you know, you know your problems that you have in life, that he delivers you from that. that. That's what John wants you to have. He wants you to know that this Jesus is God. So we got a lot of ground to cover. Let's get into it. Let's, let's read. I want to read the first five verses of the book of John. I want you to know this. It's the first. He doesn't start with an introduction or, or anything. I mean, he, he just jumps right, right here in the middle of it. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Now, the, the, when, when John uses the word, Word here, capital W, he's talking about Jesus, okay? I'll explain that in a minute. So, in the beginning was the Word, Jesus, and the Word, Jesus, he was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him, Jesus, this word, he was life. And the life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. He tells us very quickly who Jesus is, very, just, just very quickly. And, and, and you know, Luke and, and Mark they don't tell us a whole lot about Jesus beforehand. Matthew does go all the way back to Abraham, but John goes all the way back to creation and even before creation. So these guys are introducing Jesus to us, but John says, no, I want to introduce Jesus to you not as a baby born in a manger, not as, not as, a, as a part of a, of a human family. I want you to know that before anything was created in this earth, in this universe, he already was because the word, Jesus Christ, is God. But you see, when we, when we, when we see this and we think about how, how awesome he is, it's really easy then to say, ooh, and kind of back up a little bit and say, 
oh man, you know, he's, he's just a little too awesome for me to think about. But that's what John is saying to us here. He is the Word. As if he came and he brought the Word, the Gospel, the teaching, so that we would know who God is. Jesus is the revelation of God to man. That when he came and lived on this earth, he came to reveal to us who God is. Because often the Israelites were just like I was saying a few moments ago, they were like, oh, wait a minute, God, Jehovah, oh, no, no, you know, he's, he's too awesome for us. And so Jesus came so you would know that he's not just this big, huge, awesome God that's always mad at you because you messed up yesterday, you know, and he's, he's ready to zap you at any moment. But, but he, he's a different God than that. And Jesus came to reveal to us who God was. And if we don't get this, if we don't understand this, then he just becomes, he just becomes that teacher, that servant, that best friend. But Jesus is God. And so John goes about proving to us that Jesus is God. Chapter 2. In chapter 2, you know, you know what, what he shows us? He shows us the very first miracle that Jesus Christ uh, performed. He, and Jesus is at a wedding, and they run out of wine, and, and his mom comes to him, Jesus' mom, Mary, comes to him and says, Jesus, they've run out of wine. Can you do something about it? And he says, you know, it's not my time yet. That's one of the reasons we know this is not just the first miracle that was recorded. We know it was the first miracle because he says, it's really not my time yet to step out into my ministry. And then she turns, you know, don't, don't you like it when, when your mom would tell you to do something, and you would tell her why you couldn't do it, and then she would just say something and walk off? like you were going to do it anyway, you know, because she's mom. She did this to Jesus. She said, Jesus, they don't have any wine. Jesus said, it's not my time, mom. And then she walks away and she tells the servants, do what he says to do. He's going to handle it. You know, does your mom ever do you that way? I mean, you know, just got, and she just, she just walked off and left him standing there. And so he tells the, he tells the servants, says, take these water pots right here and fill them full of water. And they fill him full of water, and then he turns the water into wine. And he, and, he, and he does such an awesome job at it that other people that are at the wedding, they wonder, why in the world did you keep this best wine to the end and you gave us the cheap stuff at the beginning? You know, it looks like you'd have done it the other way around, and he did such a good job with it. Now, most people did not know that Jesus did this, okay? Most people did not know that Jesus did this. But look right here in verse 11, chapter 2. It says, this miraculous sign at Canaan in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory. It was the first time he did anything that people knew. Wait a minute, he, he, he's not just some guy. He's not just my best friend. He's not just the guy I've been hanging out with. He's, he's not just the kid on the playground anymore. He revealed the glory of God, and his disciples believed in him. Now, at this point, he had already started calling his disciples together. And the ones that were with him, John was one of them that was with him at this time, the guy who was writing this, and he saw this. It says, and his disciples believed. They had already started following after him, but... They didn't believe him really yet. He had said, come follow me and say, okay, where, where are we going? What are we doing? You know? and, and so now he does this miracle. And you know what? They start to believe him. Why do they believe him? Because they saw the miracle. So what John wants you to see, John wants you to see these miraculous things that happen, they don't happen because your best friend is named Jesus, because your best friend is a servant. They happen because Jesus Christ is God, the Son of God, but He is God. You need to get this. And then in chapter 3, he has, he has this conversation with a religious guy. Okay, now listen. You hear me say things about the religious back in his time, back in Jesus' time. You hear me talk about how Jesus, he really liked to tick them off. I believe that. I mean, re read how he did. He liked to tick off the religious people. But now there are religious people and there are religious people. Okay, so let, let me explain to you. what I, there, there are two kinds of religious people. There are those for whom religion is the pursuit 
of the true God. And then there are those for whom religion is their God. Okay, that's the difference. Right? Most people, when we call them religious people, we're talking about that second group that it's all about religion to them, and, and, and they get so into their religion that they forget about God. Man, that's so easy to do. You might not realize it, but it's easy to do. It's easy to get involved even in worship and get so excited about the worship that you forget what the focus of the worship is supposed to be. It's so easy for religion to become your God or worship to become your God, and then you become religious. Or you just become a worshiper and say, uh, oh, wait a minute, I'm supposed to be worshiping God. You kind of forget what you're doing. But this guy that came to Jesus late in the night to talk to him, he was a religious guy, but he wasn't like that second group I was talking. He was like this first group. That he, he was religious in that through his religion, he was pursuing after the truth to find God. He, was, he wanted to know who, this, who God really was. And here's the awesome thing. Jesus knows the difference. He knows those of us who, who are just doing religion because mom and dad do religion. Got to get up on Sunday morning and come to church because mom got up on Sunday morning and came to church. You know, uh, go to a specific church because mom went to a specific church. You know, got to read my Bible every day because that's just what good Christians do. And it's become religion to them. But then there are those who in the pursuit of what we call religion, it is all about really finding Jesus. And the cool thing about it is, is he knows the difference. That's why when this religious guy to him, everybody else was coming, all these religious folks were coming to him, Pharisees and Sadducees and, and the chief priests and the scribes. They were all coming to him and asking him questions, and he'd just tick them off. Man, he'd just tell, he would tell them the, the exact thing that he knew would tick them off. I mean, read it. Read it. That's exactly what he was doing. Jesus loved to tick off the religious people. But then this guy, who was one of the same crowd, he was part of the same crowd of religious people. He, he grew up being taught. He grew up pursuing. He grew up knowing all of these things. Yet when he comes to Jesus, Jesus knows the difference and says, this is a true seeker. And, he, and, and, and they sit and they talk, and, and there's no jabbing where Jesus is jabbing. He tells Nicodemus, he says, Nicodemus, you've got to be born again. Nicodemus says, I, I don't know what you're talking about. I wonder sometimes if Nicodemus is getting just a little, you know, just maybe he's trying to tick Jesus off a little bit because he sounds a little bit like a religious person when he says, how can a man enter his mother's womb and be born again? You know, that, that's silly. That's crazy. You know, it, it's almost like that's what he's saying. Is that silliness or craziness? But Jesus doesn't chastise him. He says, I'm not talking about being born physically twice. I'm talking about being born spiritually as well as physically. And then as they talk on, they talk on, Jesus gets down to what you and I call John 3, 16. One of the most often quoted verses of Scripture in all of the, in all of the Bible. And we wouldn't have it had John not been moved on God to write the gospel story. And, he, and, and, and this is what, listen, Jesus is not saying this out loud so that you and I would just know it. He also said it to Nicodemus that night so Nicodemus would know it. And so see this religious person, this guy who's gotten, maybe, maybe, maybe almost gotten lost at times in trying to seek after God. But Jesus says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And you and I, we have that promise that, man, has been preached by Billy Graham and, and you know, people, uh, crusades all over the world has been preached to everybody. And we have that promise that all we need to do is believe in who he is and we have eternal life. Thank God that John recorded chapter 3, this conversation of Jesus with this religious man, but who was a religious man pursuing God in his religion. 
And in chapter 4, we have the story of a, of a woman that Jesus met at the well. You see, I, I, want, I want you to see the contrast of all this, is that, is that not only was he, he willing to talk to the religious, he was also willing to talk to the unreligious. This woman, she came to the well when Jesus was sitting there waiting on his disciples to get back with lunch. He's sitting there, and he wants something to drink, and she comes to get some water. And we know a lot of things about her by inference, but, but one of the things we know about her is, is while Jesus is sitting there, and he, he, says, he says, hey, how about getting me some water? And she says, give me some water first or whatever. And, and so they, they talk a little bit about the water, and then, and then uh, she says, you don't, you, know, you don't have anything to draw with. And the reason she says that to him is because Jesus says, you drink this water, and you're going to thirst again. But the water I have, if, if you drink of it, you'll never thirst again. She says, you don't even have it. She, she's almost like Nicodemus saying, but wait a minute, you're talking about physical stuff. And Jesus said, I'm not talking physical, though. And he's saying, I am the water of life is what he's trying to tell her. And if you'll drink of, of me, you'll never thirst again. And he says, why don't you go call your husband? And she says, I don't have a husband. And Jesus said, yep, you're telling the truth. You've been married five times. You're living with a guy right now, and y'all aren't married, so you're, you're, you're right. You don't have a husband. You've broken all of those relationships. You're in your sixth relationship and not even married to him. And now she's like, oh, I perceive that you're a prophet. You, know, you almost want to say, duh, you think so? You know, he's able to read your mail and everything, right? Yeah, oh, uh, I perceive that you are a prophet. But then she realizes there's a faith that begins to well up in her. This woman, by inference, a lot of the things that we know about her is she was an outcast in the city. She was someone that nobody else, nobody else wanted to be around. But Jesus also came for the nobodies. Somebody sitting here needed to hear that this morning. Jesus loves the nobody. He loves the religious that have gotten lost in all of their religion and are looking for where is God in the middle of all this. But he also loves the nobodies that nobody else wants to talk to, nobody else has time for, nobody else will, will stop. And when the disciples got back to the well where Jesus was waiting for dinner, they got back to the well with lunch. They were amazed. Jesus, why are you talking to this nobody? Now, they didn't say those words. Okay, that was my words. But they were amazed that Jesus was talking to a nobody. And you know what? I've often been amazed by that myself. When Jesus would speak out of heaven into my heart, I've been amazed that he wants to talk to a nobody like me. He wants to talk. And then at the end of that chapter, chapter 4, he, he, has, a, he has a nobleman, uh, one of the government officials that comes to him, and his son is sick. And he comes to Jesus and says, my son is sick and my son is dying. And Jesus said, just, just go home. Your son's well. And when he gets home, he asks him, tell me exactly the time, best you can. And nobody had a Timex on. They didn't have a cell phone, so they couldn't. But he said, best you can. You know, what the sundial say out in the front yard, you know, when, when he got well. And they told him about when it happened. And he knew it was the exact moment that Jesus said, your son is well. And the reason, reason I want you to see this, I think it's the same reason John wants you to see this, is he doesn't care where you come from. He doesn't care who you are. He doesn't care if you're a government official, if you're high and mighty, but you've got real problems like your son's dying. Or if you're a nobody and everybody's cast you out because, man, you've been married to everybody in town and shack it up with the ones you hadn't been married to. Or, or if, or if you're, you're, you're the one that you've been so religious all your life, but in this religion, where is God? You're like Nicodemus. He doesn't care. Whoever you are, he wants you to know. John wants you to know. And I want you to know, as pastor this morning, he doesn't care. Whoever you are, wherever you are, he wants you to know he is God. And he is here for you. And he wants to do these things for you. And then... And, 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 Bethesda, uh, chapter 5, we, we find this story of where Jesus shows up. i I, I got to tell you this. Listen, some of you, 
Not some of you, probably every one of you needs to write one of these stories down because, man, I'm, I'm hitting some high points of these things just to show you some stuff. But some of you need to say, man, that, that story really speaks to me. Write that scripture down, go home and study it because I don't have time to do it for you right now. I don't have time to teach you the lessons you need to learn. But look at this one right here. In the pool of Bethesda, in, 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 in chapter 5, right, yeah, the, uh, there was, everybody gathered around, all the sick people gathered around this pool in Bethesda because there was, there was this idea, uh, tradition or folklore or whatever it was, that from time to time an angel of God would come down and stir up the water. And the first sick person to get in the water after the angel of God stirred it up by the power of God, you know, that had been given to him, the first one into the water would be healed. Now, there was a man that was laying there that had been sick for 38 years. God, and Jesus walks up, and he, and he says, you want to be whole? You want to be well? You want to be healed? Now, here's, here's another opposite, dud. You know, it's like, Jesus, what do you think I'm laying here for? Why do you think I come out of here every day? I'm waiting for the angel to say, of course I want to be made well, you know? But he doesn't respond to Jesus in that way. He responds to Jesus says, yeah, I would love to be made well, but nobody can get me into the water. Again, just like Nicodemus, who answers with, with a, a physical question, but can I enter my mother's womb and be born again? And this, this lady at the well who says, but you don't have anything to draw this physical water out of the well with. This man says, yeah, but I can't be made well. I don't have a strong, able body here to pick me up and put me in the water. And so somebody gets in the water before I can roll over in there into it. And so again, again, we're still thinking in fleshly terms. But then Jesus says, pick up your bed and go home. You're well. And the man realizes he's healed and he picks up his bed and he starts to walk home. He doesn't go home for it, man. He starts telling everybody around him, Jesus has healed me. And people said, well, that, that kind of looks like it. I'm not sure that's him or not. This guy's testifying, no, this was me. That's, I'm, I'm the guy. And he starts telling everybody. And then Jesus runs into him again and he says, now listen, don't sin anymore unless the worst thing comes on you. And so there's faith there, there's forgiveness there, all these things that are happening there. But here's what you need to get. You, you need, I think this is one of the reasons John shows us this story. 38 years of pain, sickness, disease, infirmity, impotence, not able to take care of himself, and in a moment it changes. And what changed that day? Did the angel show up early or late? What happened? What changed that? Only one thing changed that day. Get this. Only one thing changed. Jesus, God, showed up. You know, if all you've done as, as a Christian is invite Jesus to be your buddy, your best friend, your servant, you just said, I, God, I need a whole lot of stuff. Hand it to me. Hand it. I need a whole lot of stuff. You're still hanging out at the pool, aren't you? You've been there, some of you have been there for a long time with all of your problems and still waiting. I'm believing, I'm believing that that thing's going to happen that I've already heard about and seen. And Jesus said, all you really need is you need God to show up in your life. To, to, instead, of, instead of worshiping him as the object of a song, worship him as the creator of your soul and creator of your body, creator of your existence because that's who he is. And, and, and when you begin to know Jesus as God, and, and it's no longer about the stuff, and it's no longer about the physical, I, I think I can make this work out this way, but when you begin to know Jesus as God and welcome him into your life as God, then in that same moment that he showed up, just like for this man at Bethesda, that Jesus shows up, in that moment when God shows up, things begin to change. 
I want to have, I'll, I'll share with you very quickly just, just how it happens in my life. I, I, I struggle at times. I just struggle with the battles and the demons of hell, and, and, you know, and I don't know how to get out of it. And, and, and listen, I don't know if you know about it, but we pastors, we deal with the same things you deal with. Times of depression come upon you as a pastor. Yeah, because you wonder, is anybody interested in God anymore? I mean, you, you, you watch the news, you read the, you know, you read the, the paper or, you know, or the internet, you know, you say, Does any, is anybody interested? And, and depression comes on you, and you just hang in there, and you just hang in there, and then finally God shows up, and things begin to change. You say, but I didn't do anything different, because it's not about us. It's not about the physical. It's about God showing up. Some of you, you just need God to show up. And he'll show up when you start recognizing who he is. And the next chapter is chapter 6, where Jesus then, now he's been doing all these miracles and everything, and he's been, he's been amazing people like, yeah, I know, you used to have five husbands, now you got a six man, you're not married to him. He's, he's amazing people. And so people are coming to him in droves now. I mean, he's, he's working miracles, and, and people are coming, they want to get healed, they, wa- they want to see a healing, they want to be ministered to in some way. And, they come, and, in, verse, and in chapter 6, He starts telling them, I'm the bread of life. And if you want all of this in your life, you have to accept me into your life. And when he said those words, when he began teaching that I'm not just a servant, I'm your God, you got to have me in your life. You got to receive me just like you would take in bread. I'm the bread of life. When he started teaching those words, The Word of God tells us in chapter 6 that multitudes began to leave him. Can I tell you something? Jesus does not want to be our Santa Claus. He has a job much higher than that one. He is God. He he doesn't want to just be the guy that we show up on Sunday morning and tell him our problems, and he helps us with them, and then we run on out the door, and we... He wants, he wants us to know him as God. His job is much higher. Think of the things I've just told you in the past few moments. He's the bread of life. If you're tired and you're thirsty, mm, in Jesus, mm, there's freedom. Oh, he, he told that woman at the well, I, I, I'm the water that you drink from me. Oh, if you're tired and you're thirsty, you'll never you'll never thirst again. That he is the light in the darkness. When you're confused, you don't know where to go in the darkness that that completely continues to surround you. And he's the light in that darkness that helps you make decisions, helps you get where you need to be and do what you need to do and accomplish what you need. He's the light in the darkness. When I don't understand and I don't know it, he's the light that just, boop, just like a light comes on. And he's the light that is there. He's the life. First John also told, uh, John first chapter also told us that. He's the, he's the life of this world that brought the light into the darkness. He is the way when you don't know which way to go. He is the truth when, 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 when all your doubts are flooding in and the whole world is telling you different stuff. He's the truth. He's the life, all of these things. And, and so when we make him a Santa Claus God, man, we're, we're, we're blowing, you're blowing it. When all you've got is a Santa Claus God that just shows up with a gift every once in a while in your life, man, you're missing so much. I don't, I, I don't have time to preach the rest of my message. I'm going to hurry through some of this as quickly as I can. But he skipped to chapter 8 right there. It's the next slide there for me, Beverly. But chapter 8, 
There's a woman who was caught in the very act of adultery. They say, really kind of weird how they say that. She was caught in the act of adultery, and they brought her to Jesus. They, I, you know, I, I, I've got these mental images. I, I, I picture everything. They just throw her at Jesus' feet. They said, Moses said, if we found someone that has committed adultery, we're supposed to stone them. What do you say? First thing I want to say is, I think it takes two to commit adultery. Where's the man at? He's not there. This is, you know, so Jesus automatically, of course, if he, even if he wasn't God, but he would probably have, have known this part because I know this, man. This was a trap. They didn't bring the man. They just brought, this was a trap. Jesus goes through this whole long little ordeal with these guys with the stones in her hand, ready to stone her, ready to kill her, until Jesus finally looks at the woman and he says this. This is the most important part of the story. right here. Neither do I condemn you. This is what the God of the universe wants to speak to every one of us. Because right after John 3.16 is John 3.17, where Jesus said, go you there, uh, I'm sorry, where he says, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Verse 17 says, because God didn't send me, I'm paraphrasing a little bit here to make it more our language, God didn't send me here to condemn the world, but that the world through my death will be saved. He didn't bring condemnation. He brings freedom from condemnation. If you're bound, if you're struggling, if, if whatever it is, it, if you're tired and you're thirsty, there's freedom. Because there is, therefore, there is no more condemnation to those who are called by Jesus Christ. There, there's a blind man I don't have time to tell you about. There's a good shepherd story that he tells us about in, in, in chapter 10 that I don't have time to tell you, but I'll tell you this part. Let me throw up the, the next slide there. That he, Jesus says, there are many wolves who want to devour you. There, and, and we're talking spiritually here, Okay. There's a lot of teaching out there that wants to devour you and destroy your belief in God. There, there are a lot of thieves who want to rob what you've got spiritually. And there are a lot of hirelings who just want to sell a book. Okay? They're just a hireling. They're just there for the money. There's only one good teacher. There's only one good shepherd. There's only one God. And Jesus said, I'm he. And then he starts proving it in, in, in the next few chapters. Chapter 11, he raises Jesus from the dead. I'm sorry, raises Lazarus from the dead. And the reason this is important to us is because just a chapter earlier, he said, you guys are going to kill me one day, and when you kill me in three days, I'm going to raise myself back up. Oh, they got mad then. They said, oh, yeah, we are going to kill you. They said, we'd like it to be right now. And the very next chapter, you know what he does? He raises Lazarus back to life. See, I told you I could do it. It's like he's proving to us. I, I can do exactly what I said. Come on, you need to see this. This is what, this is what John is trying to tell us is, 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 hey, Jesus is exactly who he says he is. If he tells you he can heal you, he can heal you. If he tells you he can deliver you, he can deliver you. If he tells you he can straighten out your marriage and make it work, he can straighten out your marriage and make it work again. If he can tell you he can make your budget balance, he can make your budget balance. Because when he claims he's got something behind it because he is God. Oh, and then, uh, it's so hard to skip this stuff, but I'm going to tell you real quickly if I can. When he, when he dies on the cross, Matthew, Mark, Luke, they all tell different things about happening on the cross, and most of them are repeated, and everybody tells them when there's one in John that is not spoken any other place, and it's that, 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 that they came to break the legs of Jesus was crucified with, with two, two, sinner, two uh, criminals, and they came to break their legs to hurry their death before dark. 
And when they came to Jesus, he was already dead. So the, the, uh, the, the soldier took a spear and thrust it into the side of Jesus. When he thrust it into the side, the Word of God says, outflowed water and blood. I, 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 I don't know. I'm not a cardiologist. I'm not even a nurse. I don't know anything about this, but I've just been told a lot that one of the things that could be a sign of is that the sac around the heart had ruptured and that the fluid that was there flowed out along with that. I like that because it tells me that he died of a broken heart. That before they got to him to break his legs and finish suffocating him by not being able to get a breath by raising himself up, his heart had already broken. All of the anguish that he had gone through by, by seeing our sin and taking our sin as a weight on himself and seeing all the struggles and the troubles that we have and all the battles and everything that we face was too much for the flesh body that God had come to live inside. And this flesh body busted open as he died of a broken heart. He, he's proving to us that he's not a wolf, that he's not a thief. He's not a hireling who is just here for the accolades of, yes, didn't I sing a beautiful song this morning in church? Didn't I sing, didn't I preach a good message? Come on, y'all tell me after church how great it was. He's not here for that. He was here to die for you. And uh, Doubting Thomas. Y'all remember Doubting Thomas? John's the only one who tells us about Doubting Thomas. This is my last point. We're, we're, we're here, okay? We're bringing the plane in for landing, all right? John's the only one who tells us when Jesus is resurrected, he appears to the disciples, but, John, but Thomas isn't there. And so they talk to Jesus. They tell John, Thomas later, said, you won't believe what Jesus showed. He's alive. And John says, I don't know about that. Again, a very flesh, physical response to a powerful move of God. I don't know about that. Not unless I see... You know where they put those nails in his hands? Not unless I see a body that's raised up that has that right in his hand and has that place where the soldier, you know, stuck him with the spear. Not unless I see that will I believe a very fleshly response. And you know what Jesus' reply was? He had two replies. The first one was this. And it was like, go ahead, feel my hands, Thomas. Go ahead. Put your hand right here and feel the hole in my side. Because I do want you to believe. Somebody get this. Understand this. You may be doubting. You may, you may have been like, what, five or six people in this sermon today. That every time God tries to move into your life, you begin to get a, I don't, I, you start to question in the flesh. You start to question, well, but you know, what if it was this way? And you start trying to figure it out in the flesh. He says, I don't care. I want to solve all of your doubts. I want to calm them. I want you to know that I am exactly who I am. That's what Jesus wants. He wants you to know that he is God. But the most important part of that Doubting Thomas right there, chapter 20, the most important part of that little story right there is what Jesus says in that story about me and you. Did you know that you're addressed in that story right there? Would you like to know what he says about you? Then stand with me, if you will, and come to the front and join me for the close right here. You know what Jesus said about you to Doubting Thomas? Get, get this. He said this, and he was talking about you. You believe in Jesus? 
you believe Jesus is the Son of God, then he was talking about you. Look what he says right here in verse 29 of chapter 20. Jesus told Doubting Thomas, the other disciples were listening, I'm sure, you believe me because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. He was talking about you. You are more blessed than those disciples who saw and said, I believe that. Than those who said, you don't have anything to, to get any water with. You know, then have all these fleshly, we have them, we have doubts. But when you believe him anyway, he says, you are more blessed. You're more blessed. I mean, you and I, we would, we would look and we would think, man, wouldn't it have been awesome to have been walking with Jesus when all this, man, would that not have been a blessing? He said, uh-uh. You're going to be more blessed because you believe me without having to see all of those things with your eyes. You're, you're going to be blessed by just believing. Just believing. Prayer team has moved into place and they've got little lanyards around hanging around their neck. They're, they're anxious to pray with those of you who have problems, have needs. Or if you don't know Jesus and you just like, hey, tell me how to know Jesus today, they're ready to pray with you about that. And listen, some of you talk to me all week long about your problems. Here's your opportunity. Jump in here and get some prayer right now. Don't just talk about, Pastor, will you pray for me? So, no, let somebody pray with you, not just pray for you today. Go take a hand of one of the prayer team members and let them pray with you. But right now, here's what we need to do. We need to acknowledge our belief in Jesus Christ as the Son of God who died for my sins so that I would have the bread of life that feeds me, the water of life that refreshes me, that I would have the light in the middle of all of my darkness. So, so I, and because he just flat deserves it. As the sons and daughters of God grafted in through adoption because of our faith in Jesus Christ, we need to acknowledge. We need to say who he is. Close your eyes with me right now.